I find it more than a little ironic that my first message for us is a message on stress. I mean, why in the world would a church planter be feeling any stress? I, <laughs> I was thinking this week that I think I should actually be sitting there and we should go find Todd Proctor, the pastor at Rock Harbor, not only tell him thanks for letting us being here, how about that, thanks to Rock Harbor for letting us be here. But I, I was thinking, I think I should sit and we should get Todd or somebody to come over here and speak so I can listen to a sermon uh, on stress. I just find it a little ironic that, uh, that this is our, our first time together. In fact, when I was young, uh, well, just to show you how much stress has been a part of my life, when I was really young, my mom used to call me a worrywart. Now, I'm not sure exactly what a worrywart is. Uh, it had, probably had something to do with this. This is how uh, stressed I would get about Little League. When I'm, you know, like six, seven years old, I would actually iron my socks. Are you with me here? So you, you might imagine how someone who ironed their baseball socks might have felt this week, you know, trying to get ready to throw this big party. But I didn't want to make it all about me. And uh, I, I know that this is a prevalent problem. I was doing a little bit of research this week and discovered, you know, a lot of you in this room are old enough to remember the Ann Landers column. Remember, she was an advice columnist. Remember Ann Landers? It wasn't her real name. It was her pen name. Well, she received, on average, 10,000 letters a week when that uh, column was going on. And here's what she said. The most frequent topics were worry, anxiety, and fear. Fear of health, wealth, and loved ones. Now, I also did a detailed study of Costa Mesa. This is interesting. I was actually able to buy a detailed study of what stresses people in Costa Mesa according to what people say, at least on these polls. Here's what it is. People worry about neighborhood gangs. They worry about affordable housing. I know that one. We're trying. They worry about social justice issues. They worry about finding companionship. They worry about neighborhood crime and safety. And this is the biggest one is worries about their hopes and dreams. That there's a sense that things are fragile right now and the way that we thought life might turn out isn't maybe turning out the way we thought it would or the way it should, you know, five years ago or something. And there's this hope that maybe the dream that we've had, this vision we've had for the future of our lives may not actually happen. And then if you just think of the stressors that were in the news this week, I mean, I just, you know, 10 seconds on Google, and these are the things that have been in the news just this week. Stress over the recession. Stress over, will Israel bomb Iran? And if they do, is that the beginning of something like a World War III? Because where do the dominoes stop on that? As people start lining up and choosing sides, Israel or Iran, where does that whole thing go? Issues in the news about racism, about health care, of course, rising unemployment, swine flu, Bombing plots. I guess we foiled a couple of U.S.-based bombing plots just this week. There's all the drama around the U.N. meetings that happened this past week, the stock market jitters, the housing slump, on and on and on. I mean, that gets a little over my head, so I end up worrying about things like, will the Angels have enough pitching to get through the playoffs, you know? <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, how will Jay Leno's show actually end up doing? You know, that's a little more sort of mundane, trying to bring it, you know, back to earth. And I know that for lots of us in this room, we do uh, have kind of some stress overload. And again, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure this things out. Anybody who's a therapist or a teacher or anything in this room would know that when you start having signs of stress overload, there are things like anxiety and panic attacks, kind of this feeling of constantly being pressured and hassled and hurried. You start feeling irritable or moody. 
You can have physical symptoms. You can have allergic reactions. You can have problems sleeping. You can turn to all kinds of things to medicate your pain. And all those things happen. And again, if you look at just sort of a basic laundry list of, well, what do we do about stress? Okay. Well, on a practical level, again, if you were going to a therapist or even just a doctor or a friend may just say to you things like, well, you know, watch that you don't get overscheduled. And, you know, be realistic with your expectations and get a good night's sleep. And I always love it when somebody says to me, Todd, you just need to learn to relax. I'm like, okay, um, how does one learn to relax? Um, or you, people will say, well, you know, you got to make sure you treat your body well and, you know, get, you know, regular exercise. And, you know, somebody else might say, well, watch what you're thinking, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's all true and valid. I mean, those are all the things that people feel when they're stressed. I know I've been a pastor for 30-some years. I know that that's the common advice that's given. It's not bad advice. But I want, in these few minutes we have this morning, to get below that and to show you three spiritual practices for dealing with stress that includes that stuff, but it actually helps us get below it on a more fundamental level. Here's the first thing. First spiritual practice for dealing with stress is one has to be alert to the nature of reality. And that is to say that we live in a material world. Now, I know it's 9.30 on a Sunday morning, and I'm asking you to think here for a minute, but I am asking you to think here for a minute. When I say we live in a material world, I don't mean we live in a world in which everyone wants a BMW or a yacht. That's not what I mean. What I mean is we live in a world in which it is assumed that the most real thing is matter. Flesh, the concrete, the rug, the steel doors, the air conditioning that's not working. Uh, you know, those are the things that are the most real. But if we're going to deal well with stress, we have to realize that there's a reality that lies beyond and behind and pre-exists the material world. And that reality is a Trinitarian God, who I love in the words of my friend Dallas Willard, who is completely competent and boundless love. That's what's beyond reality. So you have to ask yourself, if these are my hopes and dreams, well, what sits prior to that? What even allows me to be alive to have hopes and dreams? Well, there's this God. And this God is, this is what you got to get, completely boundless and competent love. So that the universe is always a fundamentally safe place, no matter what is happening to you. This is what Jesus knew. This is why, for instance, Jesus had such a sort of carefree view of death. I mean, am I the only one who's ever read the New Testament and you read things like where Jesus said, I've banished death? What the heck is that? Or when Jesus says, you know, if you die, you're going to live. I mean, what is that? Well, what he's saying is that there's a reality that lies beyond and that is previous to all the stressors that we're now feeling. This is why, for instance, when Jesus said, you know, was in the garden about to be arrested, he says, oh, Peter, you know, can you hear Jesus? Oh, they put away your sword. Why? Why, Peter? Why put away your sword? Because, Peter, don't you know that I'm safe? I could count on millions of angels to come rescue me if I thought I was in danger. I'm not in danger from these religious leaders. I'm not in danger from Pilate. I am always safe because I have come from my father and I'm going back to my father. This is the root of healing for stress. You have to know that whatever stressors you're feeling, and sometimes they're very, very real. I did lose my job. Or I do have some chronic disease and I lost my health insurance. That stuff's all really real. 
But you have to know that there's a reality that lies beyond and behind that. Stephen, when he's being stoned to death, how did he die in peace? Well, the Bible says Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God and he was at peace. Elijah, when he's pushed to the wall, so to speak, with stressors and doesn't know how God's gonna come through, remember the heavens open and he sees what? Chariots of fire. I mean, I could go on and on and on telling you stories like this saying that there's a reality that exists that transcends our current stressors, which are really real. They're as real as the wood in this altar. But there's something even more real. You see, matter isn't dependent. This matter isn't dependent on the person who made it. Are you with me? I mean, sorry. A personhood is not dependent on matter. What lies beyond my personhood is God who created me. Matter is dependent on a person, God. If it weren't for God speaking anything that can stress you into existence, you would have no stressors. But God exists beyond that. I love this little story that um, Peter Marshall tells, you know, going back again to the ultimate stressor, you know, people's fear of death. He tells this beautiful story of this little girl, six years old. It was a late afternoon. She'd been sitting on the ground playing with her dolls or something. And as the sun set, she fell asleep on the floor. Well, her father comes in and he picks her up and he carries her to bed and he tucks her in and he kisses her on the cheek, cheek goodnight. And the next thing she knows is she wakes up in the light of a different day. Never having experienced death. She just woke up in the light of a different day. And this is what Jesus so wanted us to know because if you get that one right, you get the big one right, well, then everything else sort of falls, you know, into place. So last one, remember when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee and the big storm came up and he's asleep in the back and the disciples start accusing him. Like, Lord, what are you doing sleeping? Can't you see that we're in major stress here? I mean, this is about as big a stress as it gets. Everyone knows that these storms capsize boats and kills them. And Jesus says to them, you little faiths, meaning don't you know that you're safe even if you die? So first spiritual practice for um, dealing with the spirit or the stressors of our age is the spiritual practice of understanding, being alert to the real nature of reality. Second is that we have to practice the presence of that reality. There's a long tradition for this of people practicing uh, the presence of God moment by moment um, that's called the sacrament of the present moment. I mean, I have a little thing that I use in, in my own mind and heart where as I go through my day, I have like this little triangle of thinking of God and the people and events of my life and me and just trying to stay present to that so that, I mean, none of us are going to avoid stress. I mean, stress is just a part of life. And in fact, some stress is actually good, meaning it, it's just your adrenaline system, you know, responding to life. What happens, though, is if your adrenaline system is constantly on, well, then you end up with adrenal fatigue and all kinds of bad stuff that can happen. But a little bit of stress is just normal. But what we need to do is learn to just practice the presence of that reality. So the first thing is realizing there's a reality that lies behind whatever it is that I'm going on. That is a major spiritual practice. And that's something you just work on day in and day out. The second thing is you learn to practice the presence of that reality so that it's not merely the presence of whatever my stressors are, but there's also this other presence that's there with me. And what you'll learn is that actual reality 
capital R reality that lies beyond and behind our small r reality is actually the safest place in the world. Third practice is to learn then to steep our life in that God reality. Remember that famous passage in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 where, you know, Jesus says, you know, why do you worry about, you know, these things? You know, did any of you ever grow an inch by worrying? Remember that passage? Well, I want you to hear a bit of it from the message. It says, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. So steep your life then in God reality, in God initiative, and in God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Now here, the passage goes on, and this is the part that I want you to really get about, practicing the presence of this reality. Peterson, I love the way he gets this in the message. Give your entire attention to God and to what he's doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the times come. Now, this is what, this is, this is what has always been the case for Jesus and his first followers and for Jesus and lots of other people as the world has gone on. They've learned that reality is actually the safest place in the world. But often the way we experience this is we have, and this is what I think is always the most fearful to us and where fear kicks into all these stressors, is that there's always a moment, it seems like, a lag between experiencing something real in our life and being able to connect with that prior reality, you know, that, that God's actually in charge of all this. And it's that terrible moment of waiting. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watch ESPN or, or um, maybe the Discover Channel or something where they show, you know, fantastic crashes. Well, I was watching one of those shows, you know, clicking around, but it was a, one of those speed boats. I don't know how fast they go. Anybody know how fast those speed boats go? A couple hundred miles an hour, maybe? I don't know. And it showed one of those speed boats uh, crashing. It, like, it's tipped a little too much, and it hit the edge of, it, the edge of the boat, hit the edge of a wave, you know, it was just a random coincidence, and the boat just went flying and flipping, and it threw the driver so far underwater when he went into the water that he literally didn't know which way to swim. He didn't know what way to go. He literally didn't know where he was. I mean, he's probably borderline in shock, dark, cold water, but he had a life vest on. And all he had to do was wait just a few seconds without panicking, and the buoyancy of the life jacket would have shown him which way to swim. But there was those moments of just like utter panic, like what am I going to do? You know, when, I mean, talk about stress, when the stress is literally overwhelming and you literally can't think, there's always that few little moments of just having to wait on the Lord. And when that happens, what Jesus was trying to teach us is that that's exactly what he was doing in the garden. He knew he was safe. I mean, he didn't know what was going to happen next, but he had learned to wait. Just have those sort of momentary, mental, heart-based pauses. Because here's what happens to us. Remember that game we used to play at uh, like second grade birthday parties, musical chairs? Remember that? So picture you're playing musical chairs, you know, and you're, you're running around the outside of the chairs and life's going on and it's crazy and there's all kinds of events out of your control and things happening and suddenly the music stops and you're out. And you're just, you, you literally are then just sitting with yourself. 
and you're sitting with whatever it is that you're actually feeling. You're sitting with fear. You're sitting with anxiety. You're sitting with panic. You're, you're sitting with whatever is really real, and it's in that moment that Jesus says, if we'll wait, that we will experience. Not just know mentally. I'm not teaching you, in a sense, doctrine this morning. I'm teaching you essential spiritual practices for anybody who wants to be a follower of Jesus. This is right at the bottom for anybody, is that you have an experiential knowing that includes cognition, includes your brain, but it transcends it. It includes your heart, your soul, your body, your social self, the way you deal with people. It brings all that into play. This Jesus who banished death. As Peter Marshall said in his book with that little girl, the worst that's going to happen to you, the worst that could ever happen to you, you know, humanly speaking, death only means that you're going to wake up in the light of a different day and the life that you now know, not some life that has no continuity, but the life that you now know in the same way that little girl woke up in bed in the light of a new day, she was living the same life she'd always been aware of. Jesus is saying, even if you die, the very life you now know is not going to stop. You'll have a different body. We don't know exactly how we'll exist, but you are not your body. You will not stop existing. You will continue to exist in basically the way you know yourself now and the way you know your life. And so when musical chairs starts happening of gangs and neighborhoods and is my hopes and dreams going to come true? And what about health insurance? When all that happens, when the music of your life stops and you feel that, know the nature of reality. Practice knowing that reality and steep your life in God's initiative, God's preexistence before you. And God says you will always be safe, even in the face of death. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.